Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Hi everyone, this is Wendy, and I'm checking in from a gorgeous beach in Wailea on the island of Maui in Hawaii. So I'm very sorry that I'm not part of the discussion in today's podcast, but I just wanted to check in and let you hear a little bit of the ocean waves here because it's incredible. And um, to thank Allison and Mike for taking the reins this week and for having a very interesting and spirited discussion for you. So I will be back next week, but please enjoy today's topic and enjoy the sound of the Pacific Ocean right here behind me uh, from Hawaii. And I'm sorry, I haven't had a chance to investigate any haunted or paranormal places because this has truly been just a relaxing vacation. And I thought maybe I'd see a UFO or something because the skies are so clear, but alas, not on this trip. So I guess I'll have to come back to Hawaii again and see if uh, I can experience some of the the paranormal side of Hawaii. But for now, I'm going to hand it off to Mike and Allison. Thanks again, guys, for taking this week's show. And I will talk to you next week. Have a great one, everybody. It is a beautiful day in Madison, Wisconsin today. I am podcasting outside, and I'm so excited to be able to podcast outside because uh, it's been a long winter, and spring is finally here. Yay! Wendy is on vacation, so we are doing this podcast today. It is Allison Jordan from Milwaukee Ghosts joining us again. Hello, Allison. Hello. Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone in podcast land. And it's, it's nice to have you back with us today, Allison. Oh, thank you. And you haven't been on a podcast for a little while. How have you been? Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's been winter. It's been a lot of flu and um, cold. And uh, I, I have a head cold right now. So you're outside, but I'm stuck inside with a box of Kleenexes. Okay. <laughs> and sorrow. <laughs> oh, Oh, well, if I didn't get to for... do the podcast, though, that's fun. Yes, yes. So, thank you for joining us on your sick day. No problem. So, c- cool things we can talk about. Last week, you weren't so sick, and you were in Madison, and we were at <laughs> Wizard World. Yeah, I was just a, a different kind of sick, <laughs> right? Her performance <laughs> right. on stage was sick. Did you hear those weird stories that she was telling? And those were some, mm. those were some pretty good weird stories. And uh, we were on a, a panel called Paranormal Wisconsin, hosted by our friend T. Krulos from the Milwaukee Paranormal Convention. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, we'll put a link to that because Alice and I are going to be on panels at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference this year in October, and we'll talk more about that when we get a little bit closer to the date. But uh, how do you feel about your first experience at Wizard World? What you, would you think about the, the con? Well, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I loved all the different costumes. Um, and uh, so that was really fun for me to just see people's creativity and, and how it was running wild. 
it was just rampant and uh and I, it was just fun to see so many um people dressed up like Doctor Who and his uh many different uh, incarnations there were a ton of Doctor Who's really were a lot of Doctor Who's at the I think I think you can do Doctor Who because it's not that different than a normal outfit you know what I mean well that's right I mean I it it takes some style of course but but it wasn't to the level of, you know, one of our favorite costumes there, which was the Predator. Oh, my God. There was a, there was a female Predator, too. I didn't even know they had female Predators. Like, yeah, I didn't see the female Predator. So, But the Predator was pretty awesome. Like, it looked like it was out of the movie. Yeah, like it just stepped off the screen. Amazing. Right. So I ran. When I saw <laughs> that, I ran because I knew I'd get that. You know, those three little dots when the predator gets you in your sights, like <laughs> I was expecting right. to see that on my chest or whatever and end up like, like Carl Weathers did. Oh, no. In the, in the original movie. He, he, it, no one should ever go out like that. That was, that was bad. No. Still haunts my dreams. Yeah, so think about that. That was when he loses his arm. Oh, man. Spoilers. And it's still firing. Okay. <laughs> It, Predator is 19 years old this year, so if you guys <laughs> well, haven't okay. seen Predator yet, there's young ones coming up. They they haven't had a chance to you know to be immersed in the sci-fi world as we have. You know the um the guy that played Hawkins, Shane Black. He's also the guy that wrote one of your favorite movies, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh yeah, I love that movie. So he's he's an actor as well, and he was in Predator, and he also wrote the Robert Downey Jr. comeback movie. With Val Kilmer, oh uh, kiss, yeah, kiss, bang bang. Yes, he has a lot of kisses in his in his movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I I love Shane Black, and anyway, he's doing a uh, like a a new Predator sequel. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's that was just announced a couple of months ago. So I'm pretty excited to see what Shane Black is going to do with Predator. Um, and so that that's going to be fun. Anyway, Comic Con. Incredible, incredible uh, costumes at the Wizard World Conference. And an, inc- an incredible job by us on the Wisconsin Paranormal Panel. Yeah, and our, our, we were also with our friend Jay Nathan Couch of Goatman fame. And you have heard Jay Nathan on this podcast when we did our Cryptozoology Roundtable uh, right. a few months back. should link to that in the and show notes. I Well, I think I will <laughs> link to that in the show notes, which will be at othersidepodcast.com slash 88 is where you can find that. So Wizard World was a, was a good time. And this week we will be talking a little bit about dystopias. Mm. Yes. Very meaty topic. Yes. But the thing is, is that um, one of my favorite pieces of dystopian science fiction is a TV show created by Terry Nation, who invented the Daleks on Doctor Who. Oh, and uh, the show he created was called Blake's Seven. Hmm. Yes, I now, have heard you, of it, but I, I have uh, probably never seen it. Sorry. I, I, I've, okay. I've seen most. I, I'm, I'm conversant with most geek culture. That, that's just one that uh, escaped, escaped me. Well, Blake's Seven didn't start getting airplay in Milwaukee until like the late 80s. So you were already in college oh. like when, it, when, it, when it started being shown. And they'd show it right after Doctor Who on Sundays. Okay, well, that makes sense then. So I would, st- I would watch Doctor Who every Sunday. It was on at noon or whatever. And then at uh, 1.30 or 2 o'clock, whenever Doctor Who ended, Blake 7 would come on. Oh, I see. And so then that's when I watched the entire series. And uh, it, so it's set in a future where um, 
there's a there's a federation that rules Earth and parts of the galaxy, but this is not a benevolent federation <laughs> like Star Trek. Oh, I see. It is an, it's it's an evil federation, totalitarian, authoritarian government that controls humanity with an iron fist and pacification drugs and um, memory replacement and things like that. Oh, so kind of like uh, the um, they they had a, a similar government structure in Firefly. Yes, I mean I, I would say that Blake Seven is is a um, a good example of an influence that was on Firefly. Oh wow! Okay. Well, I, I should go back and watch it then. Put I believe you should list. go back and watch it. <laughs> I think you should put it on your... I think everybody should put it on their geek list. Um, now, something I tweeted last night, actually, was that um, there can never be a gritty reboot of Blake 7. Like, you know, people talk about Battlestar Galactica like it was a gritty reboot. Um, yeah. You can't, you can't gritty reboot Blake 7 because you can't get any grittier than it was originally. Hmm. So, uh, it, it, you know, of course, any British science fiction from before the 2000s, you're going to have to set your uh, suspension of disbelief on high because the special effects look like they were made in a like a high school drama department's basement. <laughs> like something you'd be behind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, Some I mean, it's ridiculous. scheme. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but the thing is, it's a great show. And the character... Uh, Blake was the leader of the seven and Raj Blake was his name. And the actor that played him, Gareth Thomas, passed away this week at the age of 71 in the UK. Oh, no. Another necrologue. Yeah. That, that, well, must, we're not gonna that do a- must be why I'm on the podcast. Someone died. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to acknowledge Gareth Thomas because I really love Blake seven. And uh, we don't have to get into it too much. The last kind of piece of genre sci-fi that I saw him in is that he was in an episode of Torchwood. Uh, back in the first season of Torchwood in 2006. So if you guys remember anything about Torchwood, which is Torchwood is 10 years old now, which, holy crap. That cannot uh, be right. That cannot be right. <laughs> oh, yeah, because no. yeah, yeah, Torchwood started like right around Doctor Who's third season. Old age is creeping in. That was yes, just like yesterday when cre- I was watching Torchwood. I'm thinking it was right. just too sexy. <laughs> well, that also means that John Barrowman, who plays Captain Jack on Torchwood, he's playing an immortal character. And if they're going to shoot any more Torchwood episodes, they better do it soon because John Barrowman is in his 50s. No way. Yeah, and he still looks, he still looks good. Ah, he's well preserved. Uh, he's, well, uh, he's on the Arrow, or Arrow. I, I don't watch many of the uh, CW comic no, book shows, I, but I know that. Oh, I didn't know he was on Arrow. Yeah, he's got a recurring recurring part. I think he might be a serious regular now on Arrow as a character, Malcolm Merlin. Anyway, enough about Torchwood, uh, which is a great show. That'll get its own show sometime. We talk about maybe the real-life sci-fi that has, or real-life paranormal stories that have inspired shows like Torchwood. But so RIP to uh, Gareth Thomas. Thank you for Blake 7 and the, the great work you did on that TV show because I loved it. I loved it. It was one of the wonderful dystopian futures that shaped my childhood. Ah, so sweet. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of dystopian futures, this week is um, something that I think is pretty topical. And it's something that's been in the news a lot over the past few weeks. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure why it's kind of taking off. This story is taking off a life of its own right now, as opposed to, uh, you know, next year or 
you know, maybe it's because everybody's got their eyes on politics and the economy and employment. And we're looking forward to big changes, maybe. Yeah. And I, well, I, I think that's that's why people are focusing on employment right now because of the presidential election. So what they're what they're thinking about now is uh, robots are going to take our jobs. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> right. I think most people would say that that you know they're they're ready for robots to take their jobs and just have one big long vacation. That's what. I- <laughs> Well, that's so you. Uh, your life so you is can't a wait. big, long vacation. <laughs> so you can't wait until robots take our jabs. <laughs> that's right. You know, people are worried about immigrant labor and things like that taking our jobs. And I'm, um, and I'm on the west side of Madison right now. And immigrant labor, we have a, you know, interestingly enough, you know, people think like, oh, immigrants going to take the uh, the low paying jobs and stuff like that. But but here on the west side. Uh, with a lot of technology companies and software companies, it's not low-paying jobs. It's computer development and software jobs where a lot of, uh, a lot of people are coming from India. And, and I used to work at a company where I'd say, you know, there was a good like, you know, 40 to 50% of the programmers were Indians. And um, it, it's great for me because I love Indian food and the west side of Madison is full of some great stuff. Oh, yeah. So... So I think that I'm like, come on, come on over, guys. Like, <laughs> take, let's take bring these your culture. Jobs. Bring me a sari to wear. <laughs> yeah, I, I love. I'm it. gonna be wearing saris all the time on my um, on my uh, never-ending vacation. Right. You know, people say, oh, they Im- worry about uh, immigration. Well, I'm not worried about immigration. As I'm worried about robots. Ah. Uh, well, I-, I say take this jab and shove it into your positronic matrix. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is, I mean, going to happen? You know, here's a, here's a good quote from the CEO of uh, a company called Autodesk. And I actually used to work for uh, a company that sold Autodesk software. Fascinating. And they do a lot of computer-aided. <laughs> they, they, they used Sorry. to do a lot of computer, computer-aided design. <laughs> You're still my little brother. I can give you a hard time. <laughs> yes, you can. It's okay. So the CEO of Autodesk says, the factory of the future will have only two employees, a man and a dog. The man will be there to feed the dog, and the dog will be there to keep the man from touching the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! So, I mean, you know, a factory of uh, no employees, manufacturing jobs, and uh, driving jobs, and, and things like that. So the... Uh, there was a 2016 economic report of the president. And this is no longer in the realms of, you know, science fiction. When you think about future jobs, I mean, I think like most people, my first, my first thought about future jobs is the Jetsons. Yes, pushing those buttons. Right. <laughs> I could push so, your buttons all day. <laughs> <laughs> so what did George do? George sat in his office, his feet were up, and he would just push a button like every couple of minutes. Yeah, it reminds me of George- Lost again. Right, we're, we're right. back to lost. To... <laughs> Push the button. <laughs> every 108 minutes. Every 108 <laughs> minutes. And so um, the 2016 economic report of the president, there's a chart in there. The probability of automation by an occupation's median hourly rage, wage. And here's the, I mean, that's all statistics. <laughs> hourly talk, <but> rage. <laughs> <laughs> hourly rage is, right, that's how I feel when I work. <laughs> That's that's more like 
you know, what goes on in the cube. You know, you're sitting there whiling away the hours of futility. And, you know, it wells up about every hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I- I'm just saying, you know, thinking about thinking about George Jetson. I know I'm taking this off track just a little That's bit. Okay. But, but we'll, okay. we'll segue our way back. Um, you know, thinking about George Jetson, you know, and the, the whole cartoonish aspect of of him, like, pushing a button, really, when you think about it, uh, puts it in to perspective about the, you know, futility of it all, you know, some of the things that we we do in life as a part of our jobs. And, and you know, maybe we could be doing something more significant, you know, um, something oh, that Jesus has Christ. more of an I- impact to, uh, on the world in a positive way. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you about a thousand percent on that one because <laughs> I remember sitting in a cube and uh, there's people out now, if you're probably sitting, you might be sitting in a cube right now, cubicle, oh, and listen to this podcast. We feel your pain. Yep. We're with you. Yeah. We are with, we are with you brothers and sisters. The only thing you, that used to get me through is doing that is, um, is listening to podcasts and listening to uh, old Art Bell shows <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just to get me through, you know, cause I was sitting there by the computer pushing my buttons all day and you know i just had to have something to um so, some kind of uh, uh connection something bigger than myself well i tell you last week we were discussing purgatory and we were discussing dante's inferno and i think there's a special place in hell for the developers behind microsoft excel <laughs> like they get their own circle like Excel developers, you go right here. You've <laughs> you've ruined more lives. And the person that beats them is that little paperclip. <laughs> remember the little pa- Oh man. Remember the little paper Remember everybody the little paperclip lo- that talked? Everybody loves to hate that little paperclip. <laughs> and all he wants to do is bring you joy and happiness and with a little whimsy. All he wants to do is help you put functions in a cell. <laughs> well, yeah, so that is the, the, uh, the developers of Excel get tortured by that little paperclip. For <laughs> you know, and maybe it's purgatory. They don't have to. They don't have to do it forever because they didn't know what they were doing. Maybe he just sharpens his ends. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he is made of metal. After he stabs all. him. Stabs him every once. <laughs> burr, burr, like a pitchfork. <laughs> okay, so cubicle. You know, cubicle. Uh, cubicle prisoners. Um, we are with you, <laughs> and we have been there too. Wait for the signal. All the prisoners shall be released. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing. So now the the president's economic report of this year, they have the probability of automation by an occupation's hourly wage. So if if it's less than $20 an hour, the probability of automation is uh, 83%. Ooh. So, I mean, this is something people are taking seriously now that, Jobs that are less than twenty dollars an hour, the ch- chances that eventually it's going to be taken over uh, by a robot are right. are, are pretty good. Uh, twenty to forty dollars an hour, the um, chances are thirty one percent. So that's a lot of the cubicle people we're talking to. So that's why it might be time to run um, because <laughs> you do have better than a one in four chance of of a machine coming and taking your job. Get to the Not bunker. Than- <laughs> right. If it's more than forty dollars. It's only four percent. Mm. So high, uh, high-paying jobs. They don't think that a, that yet a computer will uh, will take it over in the next the next twenty years. 
You know, it's funny that they've been predicting this not just since, you know, not just now. I mean, technological unemployment was actually a phrase first used by a guy named John Maynard Keynes, who was an English economist back in the early part of the 20th century. And a lot of our economic, uh, you know, a lot of the economic policy, they call it, you know, Keynesian. Oh. Um, so, I mean, so he made up, he, his ideas represent a lot of uh, our modern economic policy. His ideas were that, you know, the government like spends, you know, the more spending by the government, the more it's going to um, increase economic activity and things. So he would be more on the progressive side of the economic spectrum. Uh, so Keynesian economics wouldn't be like Milton Friedman and uh, the economics of like Hayek, Frederick Hayek and stuff like that. And so we don't, we don't have to get deep into economic theory here, but just know uh, John Maynard Keynes is the guy that came up with technolo- technological unemployment. And he was talking about this in the 1930s. Mm. Right. So it's been, I mean, almost 100 years ago, they were already discussing technological unemployment. And he was predicting that jobs would be automated much sooner, you know, uh-huh. than, than 2030 or whatever. I mean, he was predicting it by like the 1970s and 1980s. Well, he was ahead of his time. I, he, I, wonder, he certainly, I wonder if he was a subscriber to Weird Tales. That would be awesome if we find out that he, <laughs> yeah, he would just read some cross contamination there. Maybe he right. was part of the um, HP Lovecraft circle. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, well, I was reading the latest Conan story last night, and after that, I I determined that uh, there'll be technological unemployment once Conan kills all the people and it's taken over by machines. <laughs> Could happen. <I'm- laughs> I'm afraid, I'm afraid your job is made redundant because Conan has stabbed you. <laughs> so this has been around for a while, and it goes you know, even further back. Now, you've heard the term Luddite before, haven't you? Oh, yes. One of my favorite terms. Every, I, right. I try to pull and, it out whenever possible. Accuse people of being a Luddite. Right. You know, Don't like be, you do. Well, whenever <laughs> somebody talks about a millennial on their cell phone, it's like, those millennials, all they do is text. And you want to say like, don't be such a Luddite. So, um, oh yes, so the, well, well, that's um, that's been in the news recently that AMC Theaters is thinking about allowing texting during movies. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, Mike. It depends. As long <laughs> as I'm not sitting by the person who's doing the texting, I think it's fine. Oh, so they should have their own area, maybe. Yeah, like the texting section. Yeah, and it should be right in front of the screen. That's right. You know. <laughs> It should be the seats that nobody wants. It's like, yeah, you can text, but you are actually sitting behind the screen. That's a perfect idea. You've you've solved all our problems, Mike. Thank you. I I, I do what I can. So so Luddites. So the early part of the Industrial Revolution in Britain, um, they started to get uh, automated sewing machines. You know, and they, you know, use steam engines and stuff like that, and and it would automate sewing and textile workers then who had worked, you know, and, and trained all of their life to be able to do sewing in these big uh, clothing, you know, garment manufacturing uh, factories. Oh, and we all know those jobs were great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally sweet jobs. But oh, the thing is, we're sorry, kids, you have to go to school. <laughs> you can't get caught in the machine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, you can't lose an arm. <laughs> That's right. But, oh, I gotta go to school. Ah. 
<laughs> Sorry, go on. But the, but the thing is, is that, that that was their job, you know, and there was no social safety net in the United Kingdom. There was the no 19th. safety net, social or otherwise. Right. So right, what's going to happen if you lose your job? You're going to go to the poorhouse. Yes. Probably die a, a terrible, gritty death. So, I mean, so and be buried in the Potter's Field. It just <laughs> right. keeps coming. Man, you no, know, it's funny. That's bad. A little, a little, History's terrible. It is. Sorry, go a, on. A little, ta- a little <laughs> tangent. Um, I'm doing research for a uh, a haunted history tour in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm. So, number one, if you if you know anybody, or if you're in the Twin Cities, uh, I know a lot of the people who listen to Darkness Radio um, also listen to this podcast. So if you're in the Twin Cities and have had any paranormal experiences in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, I would love to hear about them. I'll put a link in the show notes about it. But I'm developing a haunted history tour for St. Paul. And yesterday I was reading about uh, the Ramsey County. St. Paul is in Ramsey County, Minnesota. And I was reading about their poorhouse. They, like they, like they didn't have a poorhouse. They had a poor farm. Yeah. Okay, so everybody Quite would common. go to the f- Yeah, and, and they would go to the farm. And so like... If you were indigent and you didn't have any family, if you were, uh, didn't have a job and didn't have anybody to take care of you, you went to go work in the poor farm. And then uh, people were you know, buried there in a potter's field on the Ramsey, so the Ramsey County Poor Farm Cemetery. Uh, there's a lot of stories about how that's haunted. Yeah, well, um, you know, in many communities across the United States, that was par for the course. And, you know, the same kind of... Uh, Things happen there. Sometimes these things were set up as, uh, you know, by well-meaning people, but it doesn't always work out that way. And and uh, there's terrible suffering, and out of terrible suffering, you know, comes ghost stories. And and right. it's great that you know you're, you're doing that and and keeping these stories alive, so that history will never repeat itself. I agree with that, and and this is the time where history could repeat itself. And the because robots are taking us all to the poor farm. The, the robots are going to push us all to the poor farm. And, okay, so that's the thing. So, now there was a recent Slate article. Let me go grab it here. Yeah, it's actually from a couple of years ago, that, that one okay. that we were talking about. So, they do a, an interview with a, um, a researcher named Andrew McAfee. No relation to the John McAfee, the, <laughs> the, the guano crazy guy who's running for the libertarian uh, pr- presidential nomination and 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 no relation to the antivirus software no relation well like <laughs> john mcafee actually is the guy that invented the antivirus software oh so oh so it is it is that guy yeah that is that guy the guy oh. who like was uh i mean he says that he's framed for the murder of somebody in like guatemala and stuff and he had to run for his life and oh anyways. wow i don't know this story yeah, John McAfee's got a 70 years old, has lived a very colorful life, and Whoa. he is running for the Libertarian Party for president. And we'll get back to actually some libertarian economic policy when we, when we get to the end of, of this particular uh, discussion. But so th- do an interview with Andrew McAfee, no relation to John or the antivirus. And, um, you know, they ask him, well, how could automation of most people's jobs play out? And he says there's three possible scenarios. One is that the economy is going to take a hit, and that's going to take a while to work itself out. But in the end, quote, we will reach a happy equilibrium. The Industrial Revolution was great news, eventually, for British workers. 
Electrification of factories eventually led to a large and stable, prosperous American middle class. That pattern should give us confidence that we'll wind up in another happy equilibrium. Okay, so that's, that's the Luddites. The Luddites were fighting against that. And, actually, you know, the first time I actually heard the term Luddite was a Doctor Who episode called The Mark of the Rani. And the Rani is causing some problems in, like, early 19th century England. Oh, they, Rani. Yeah, the Rani. <laughs> and she's a female Time Lord who's come back to do experiments on the, uh, what she thinks are the primitives of early 19th century, 19th century England. And she's causing all this, uh, this mayhem, and they're blaming it on the Luddites. Oh. Who are bombing, you know, they say they're bombing the textile factories and stuff like that. And uh, so the automated factories don't replace their jobs. Mm. But what happened was eventually it all worked out. New jobs were created as the old jobs were lost. So somebody had to supervise the machines back in the, back in the old factories. And that kind of new jobs were created. And eventually it all worked out to where, you know, when the middle class, you know, was developed, that was the best economic time for the most people in the history of mankind humankind huh. so all of that you know the industrial revolution led to like all the manufacturing jobs and everything and, and all the it's when you think about the 1950s and 60s and you think about the most people it having the most income and now i'm just talking about western society now i'm not right. talking about you know at the same time uh the british empire while they were at the forefront of the industrial revolution they were also at the forefront of um destroying Africa and India yeah. and colonization and imperialism, uh, which eventually, you know, Africa is still dealing with the after effects of colonialism in trying right. to bring the, uh, the lifestyle of their people up. Anyway, but that's, that's a digression. That's nothing to do with the dystopia that we're talking about. It's a, it's a different right. dystopia. Right. So, so even, of, even with Ronnie and, and all her exploits, everything yes. ended okay. Everything turned out okay. She didn't have an no. army of robots, though, did she? You know, like no, the she, she didn't. She, no, okay. no, she controlled. She controlled the minds of these different factory workers in okay. uh, the early nineteenth century. Well, and then the mast, the masters showed up, and then they got into a fight, and the whole oh, thing. Oh man! Two, <laughs> two evil time lord, two evil time lords with the doctor in the middle. What are you gonna do? Oh my goodness! Like the Doctor Who sandwich. <laughs> uh, that's my dream but <laughs> i knew it um uh, but ronnie didn't have an army of killer robots at her disposal i mean that so no. it's, it's very different what we're looking at right now well well that's the thing we're talking about scenario two that uh andy mcafee talks about scenario two is we see successive waves artificial intelligence automated driving that will impact people who drive for a living robotics that will impact manufacturing if scenario two happens, the problem is a bit worse because it will be difficult for the economy to keep ingesting and for workers to keep retraining. So scenario two, you ever see the movie Elysium? Yeah. Yes, I did. Matt Damon? That's and a, it was and the a, technological haves and have, have nots. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like some people could get their cancer cured. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons that, you know, Matt Damon wants to break through to this Elysium colony outside of the planet. And everybody else lived like a third world type of existence right. on Earth. So Earth was left to the plebes who were then just, you know, th their life was hell. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's really scary because that seems like a very realistic scenario. It's not the one that, that I'm hoping for, of course, but it, it's the, the one that uh, I think 
is probably most realistic. Well, I mean, I think scenario one's a little closer to realism because I think that people with good hearts are going to do their best to make sure that workers get retrained, that drivers find something new to do. Well, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. But that like takes one of my, my dreams away, being, being this over-the-road trucker, you know, and being out there, you know, in the hinterlands of the U.S., you know, driving down these desolate highways after dark, seeing strange things off on the side of the yeah. road. I mean, Le- it, it's its own kind of uh, a dream, a utopia. Living like Jack Burton from uh, Big Trouble in Little China, driving your own pork chop, driving your own pork chop express across the country, going from adventure to adventure. Or I could get an orangutan. Right. <laughs> be like, a, you know, my sidekick. I, I sure, you know, because that one that works things. so well in Murders in the Rue Morgue. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how hey, there's, be, there's some more spoilers for you. That's right. <laughs> For a 170-year-old story, <laughs> Murders in the Room Morgue, the orangutan did it. That's right. So, yes, it'd be great to have an orangutan as a little partner, and you get to hang out and stuff. And that would be Clint Eastwood, Every Which Way But Loose, when the orangutan was in there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Or or isn't BJ and the Bear another one? Wasn't that a chimp I, or something? I don't even know. Yeah, We're I'm going way sure back was here. But wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't that another over-the-road trucker thing? And the convoy. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, the CB radio, talking on the CB radio. Watch out for them smoke gates. <laughs> that is a dream, to be able to go back to that 1970s. Oh, there was a period in the, like, the 1970s where, like, truckers were heroes for a while. Yeah, we can really see that going back and looking at all the, the media iterations. Even Chuck Norris was a hero, like a trucker hero in the movie Breaker Breaker. Oh, wow. So, yeah, Breaker Breaker Convoy. So, Chuck Norris is in it. Yeah, you know it's good. (laughs) It's not even a question. So, Scenario 2 is is like a nightmare world. It's, you know, I think of that, I think of the dystopia from Max Headroom. Oh, yeah. People just living, you know, basic, or even the running man. When you think of the rabble in the streets and and homelessness and and there's just no jobs for anybody. Yeah, and then, you know, the running man, everybody becomes dispensable. Right. Life gets to be very cheap when uh, you have an underclass. And so scenario two is obviously the, the scary dystopia that we're all worried about. Yeah. The idea that, that there's no jobs to have, so everybody's on the dole. And they, they need the bread and circuses. Mm. They need to be appeased with the, the gladiatorial combat. So on oh. one hand, scenario, scenario two sounds horrible because we're not going to have jobs. On the other hand, scenario two means that we might get the running man in real life. Uh-oh. Which, which I don't know, like... Mike! That, that, come on, like, that stuff sounds awesome. It's like the... Yeah! Um, anyway. You're, <laughs> you're interested in gladiatorial combat? I just love that movie. As a, as a spectator? Well, um, yeah, more than American gladiators, because he upped the stakes a little bit. <laughs> just a little. So scenario two sounds horrible. Now, scenario three is what he says, though is that we finally transition into the science fiction economy where you just don't need a lot of labor. Mm, this is sounding I, good. Yeah, and I think that, that sounds like the dream that we were talking about. Where Tell you don't me have more. That. Okay, now that's a utopia, not a dystopia. And that can be like Star Trek. You know, Star Trek, everybody does stuff, but nobody needs money. 
And that's because you have an infinite amount of resources because they have replicators. So if you're hungry, you just go to the replicator to get lunch. Mm. Or Earl um, Grey tea, black. (laughs) Yes. Or Earl Grey tea, how do they say? Yeah, Earl Grey tea. Yeah, black. Um, Yeah, black. No, no, No sugars. He wasn't a sugar guy. (laughs) <laughs> no, not not Captain Picard. He no sugar for that man. Sometimes I like to rub sugar. No, sugar Earl Grey tea hot. It's coffee hot. black. Okay. So, uh, Earl so he, Grey he used tea the sugar. <laughs> he just he, rubs sugar over his he, bald head. He doesn't want iced Earl Grey. Come on. <laughs> Who do you think he is? He needs it hot. That's Earl Grey tea hot. hot. <laughs> so I got the replica- it. <laughs> so Star Trek is that's one kind of utopia that could happen with something like this. It's like, oh man, that'd be great. Like you just don't have to worry about stuff. On the other end, it could be like the idyllic existence that H.G. Wells talks about in The Time Machine. Oh, wait and a that, second. So the LOI just sat around, didn't have to do anything, and they eventually became sheep, pretty much. Yeah. Would then be harvested by the Morlocks living underground who did all right. the work. That's scary. That they well, come up and take you, punch you down to the underworld and rip you to shreds? Well, yeah, and you get eaten. Aww. I mean, you, you become a... You, the, and then the LOI would just get harvested every once in a while, and then they would just go right back into their idyllic existence. Just, you know, like, oh, yeah, that happens sometimes. Like, what <laughs> happens? Well, these mutants come up from the underground, take a whole bunch of people, and then we just go back to laying around in the sunshine all day, kind of like <laughs> I'm doing today. <laughs> okay, there's, there's pros and there's cons. Well, the other, I mean, the other, the other con of the, of the machine overlords is the Matrix. Oh, yes. Because in the Matrix movie, they use humans as batteries. Yeah. To power the machines. And so in that, they said that when the humans were plugged into the Matrix, the first existence was idyllic, and they tried to give people paradise. All right? So when they tried to give people paradise, humans couldn't handle it. You needed to have some... Got bored. Yeah, you got bored. You need to have some kind of struggle in your life to give it some kind of meaning. So the, the Matrix is another example of, okay, the machines will take care of you, but here's what's going to happen. You know, you're, you're going to be plugged in. And that, that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. There's also that movie, Open Your Eyes. Uh, it's a Spanish film, uh, Penelope Cruz. And it's about, um, oh, I, I feel bad for spoiling this film, but I didn't like it, so I don't mind spoiling it. Okay, go ahead. So, so if you haven't seen Open Your Eyes, fast forward about two minutes. Yeah, lay it down. You, lay it down for fi- me. You find out that the main character has been in some kind of horrible accident and is just living in this dream world in his head like he's in some kind of suspended animation and he's living in a dream world in his head where everything's cool uh-huh and uh they did a remake of it tom cruise started it called vanilla sky oh yeah okay yeah so uh that's the kind of thing it's like well would you be happier in a kind of paradise that wasn't real or would you be happier living with the struggle of everyday existence hmm so that's where we could go with dystopia, you know, the, the dystopia we're talking about. Or, you know, or, or it could be like uh, we talked about before Richard Brodigan's poem. Oh, uh, wa- yes. All watched over by machines of love and grace. And just to, just to reread that is uh, here's just a, kind of a, his, his poetry. I like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we're free of our labors and joined back to nature, returned to our mammal brothers and sisters. And all watched over by machines of love and grace. I love it. Let's do it. I want yeah. that one. That, that's the one. Back to the jungle. 
And I'm happy to go back to the jungle because especially if we get to live in a tropical environment. Yeah. Well, I think it's supposed to be a eat and the, the new Eden. Yeah, and that that's that's the idea. So that's maybe maybe that'll happen. The science fiction utopia of robots take care of the crap work that none of us want to do, and then we get to hang out all day and just pursue higher minded ideals. Yeah, pursuits that are more motiv- motivating for us, you know, that really mean something to us, that, that give something back to our culture. And I think we're at a moment in history where, you know, that could, that could really happen if jobs slowly went away or lessened, mm-hmm. you know, because people already are becoming media uh, creators with all the technology available to them. They can podcast like we're doing right now or make right. movies or, you know, different types of art. And for most people, I mean, that's, I think that's really what they want to do. But they can't because of, you know, limitations economically. Well, and that's why I think a lot of people talk about technology. Um, you know, technology is the new rock star. You right. know, in the, back when, 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 like, rock and roll culture and counterculture in the 1960s, it's because uh, these musicians, you know, were expressing things that people felt. And the only way that they could express that stuff is by listening to the music and going to concerts and spending time together. The summer of love, baby. And so that was the original rock culture is, is kind of that. And now with technology, media is democratized so that right. anybody can make things. Everyone can express themselves in the way that we, you know, they deem fit. We decide to express ourselves by talking about paranormal and pop culture. And <laughs> that's the way that we find meaning in our life. But a lot of people you know, don't have the time to do that kind of thing now because they got to work some job they hate. Yeah. So the thing is, when the robots steal our jobs, how are we going to avoid that dystopian future of scenario number two and make our way to scenario number three when we're all watched over by machines of love and grace? Yeah, where we're ushered into a new era, a new renaissance. Just think of that, all the possibilities. And and this is where we get back to the libertarian economic policy that I was talking about before. And the, the, the first time I'd ever heard about this particular concept was actually from a uh, economist by the name of Milton Friedman. Now, Milton Friedman is cited by a lot of uh, conservative political candidates and things like that. And, of course, Ronald Reagan talked about him all the time and, and stuff. But at, at the same time, uh, you know, these, these candidates also espouse some strange ideas about it because Milton Friedman was a hardcore libertarian in that he believed in, in free markets and the only way to really you know make the free market and make sure that nobody is left behind so that they can compete was a universal basic income now what does that mean that means that we all get a check every year to make sure we're living above the poverty line and then whatever work we decide to do above that well then we get to keep that money too so Ooh, the idea I is, like that <laughs> Yeah, and this is what I like it too, because the idea is you're making sure that everyone can eat, can feed, you know, can, can clothe themselves, can be, uh, you know, have shelter and, and have somewhere to live and stuff. Yeah, and, and can be in a position, you know, like J.K. Rowling when she was living on the dole, where she was able to survive and, you know, come up with a Harry Potter series. Right. You know, just think, 
think, you know, there's other J.K. Rowling's out there. Well, you know, and I think that's interesting, too. And of course, on the See You on the Other Side podcast, we do not espouse any political beliefs. We just discuss them and we don't endorse any political beliefs. We just discuss. The only thing we endorse is that we don't want to be killed by robots. <laughs> that's right. That's, and we, that's we, and we don't want robots to enslave us and then, you know, sell us like cattle to aliens. I mean, I think that would be bad also. Yeah. So, so we here at See You on the Other Side podcast take a hard line on the robot takeover. <laughs> but when it comes to human politics, we try to stay out of it. But the, uh, the universal basic income was, you know, they actually tried to work on this in the 1970s under, and, and you won't believe this, the mm. Nixon administration. Really? Yeah. You know, they also tried to do universal health care under the Nixon administration. No, I didn't know that. Well, that, they were talking about the public option and things like that. Nixon also created the EPA. So a, as it's so, weird that. Yeah, he doesn't get his props. I mean, he did do good things as well. Right. I mean, he also lied to the American people and that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what overshadows the good things that he did. You can't do that. But, but when you, you get know, power and you want to keep it, it makes people do crazy things. They well, lose their it, judgment. It, it certainly does. He also started the war on drugs. So you can't, mm. can't say that. It, right. So you take the good with the bad. Right. But what came out of that discussion of the universal basic income was the earned income tax credit in the U.S. And, and we're thinking about it this week as, you know, the earned income tax credit. We probably were just all doing our taxes this week. Ugh. I want robots to take care of all the accounting. <laughs> yes, I do too. There's no reason and that forms, it should be this difficult. Any forms whatsoever, I can't look at a form. <laughs> Absolutely. Have the robots handle it. They're made for looking at forms. So that, that, that minimum basic income, so everybody has enough to survive. I mean, that might be some way. Like if, so they just showed driverless cars are safer than human-driven vehicles. All right? And this is actually funny. They're testing out these driverless cars in... Milton Keynes, United Kingdom. So not, not Maynard, John Maynard Keynes, but Milton Keynes is a, mm-hmm. is a city in, in the UK. And they're driving out driverless cars. And it's producing zero emissions. They're autonomous vehicles. And they're finding that the driverless cars are way safer than the cars with drivers. Driverless cars don't check their Facebook. <laughs> That's right. You know, driverless and cars. And the people in them could, though. Yeah, the people in them could. I mean, I can't wait for driverless cars because, you know, in the band, we've had to make a lot of long drives, a lot of times in the middle of the night. In the past, we've done, I mean, everybody's done an all-night kind of road trip or something like that. But when you're in a band, you do that all-night kind of road trip all the time. And, yeah. you know, some, some bands can afford drivers. Uh, some bands cannot. Yes. And the ones that can, and I don't know, I don't know who those the bands are, you know. <laughs> but the ones that cannot have to end up sometimes driving all night or you drive when you're tired and, and all those kind of things. So we've tried, as, as we've gotten older, that's something we definitely try to eliminate. On our last tour, we made sure that no drive was over eight hours kind of thing and that we didn't drive in the middle of the night. But in the past, it would be, okay, we're driving to San Antonio. Great. When we get there? Oh, right before the show. When we leave oh. oh, You know, like eight o'clock tonight. Oh. You know, so, <laughs> Can't yeah, believe that. you could do that. Right, You're amazing kind of to me. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, amazing. But, but, but and be the, able to perform and have the energy that, that, that you put out on stage. Well, that, that, was, that was a while ago. I wouldn't do that anymore. But the thing is, because I realize that's dangerous. You know, they say that driving tired is more dangerous than driving drunk. 
Uh. You know, st- studies have shown that your reaction time is way slower when you're tired than it even is when you're intoxicated. So, number one, if you're listening to this in the middle of the night and you need to pull over and take a break, I understand. Just go to that rest stop. Close your eyes for a little bit. Don't just rely on five-hour energy drink to keep you alive. Yeah, good point. And, and really, if we had driverless cars, then we could take our eyes off the road and train them on the haunted borderlands. See if right. anything strange is, is coming up out of the moors. If there's any bipedal canines roaming around <laughs> out there. It's there could be. What I would like them to see. But no, I mean, that's the thing. So uh, uh, the minimum income, and, and they're doing an experiment right now in Sweden. Like Sweden already has pretty sweet artist welfare. You know, you're talking about J.K. Rowling being able to uh, write Harry Potter when she was living on the, the British dole. We played with a band uh, out of Sweden a few years ago. And what they, every artist got like five years of economic assistance. So they could work on their art pretty much for five years. And it was a husband and wife team. And they were living on her income for five years, her economic assistance. And then they were waiting for, and then he could live on his. They could live on his afterwards. So they had 10 years to work on their dream of playing music and expressing themselves and getting out to the world. And they weren't just sitting around smoking weed and doing nothing all day. They were out touring the United States. They got to open up for Pearl Jam. They got to do a variety of different things and, you know, live a dream. And really put themselves out there. Yeah. And they got to live that because of that guaranteed assistance. Now, I'm not saying it's a great thing or a bad thing, but what I'm saying is they got to do that. And it's another, another way. It's another uh, choice that, that we could make as a society. Mm-hmm. And and I gotta say, you know, when when you think about going to those um, those gray, very pale cubes every day, you know, <laughs> looks like a pretty good option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. And so this would be um, a science fiction utopia. You, number one, nobody sleeps in the street. You know, families aren't forced out of anything. Will people waste their money on drugs and alcohol? Yeah, people waste their money now on drugs and alcohol. And so, I mean, why I don't think it's popular is it also would dismantle the entire social safety net we already have in the United States. So there wouldn't be any unemployment insurance or, or welfare or food stamps or things like that. But you just get a check every year and then you'd be able to create podcasts all day or make YouTube videos or do things. And then if you want to work and earn more money, you you absolutely can. And I don't think people would stop working. You know, there was a, uh, they tried this also in Denver in the 1970s. They tried like a pilot program of this. And they found that it did not decrease people working. Yeah. And I think it would um, increase buy-in in the workplace because you know that you're safe. You, you, okay, you're saying it takes away the economic safety net, but I don't think so. I just think it stretches it over everything. You know, everyone has a economic safety net at all times, you know, when you're getting a check every year. And um, so it, it helps you to try different things, you know, because a, a lot of times it's like you, you make a choice um, career-wise and then you feel like stuck in that career because, I mean, it's going to really impact you economically to just quit and try to do something else. I mean, it, it's a lot to make that transition. So if you if you have this uh wage, you know, that you're getting every year, um you you can do that. It it can um it can help sustain a lot of creativity and a lot of um 
uh, choices uh, that are more informed. Well, and I think also it would encourage entrepreneurship because if you don't have to, uh, if you're not tired from working a crap job all day, then you go home and you have ideas. And you want to start a business, and it might—it's a great opportunity to start businesses or a great opportunity to program that app you always wanted to, but you, you just don't have time. And that would be a utopia to free people up of the basic, you know, so you don't have to worry about your basic needs. And when they talk about happiness, happiness scales, like right now in the U.S., I think it's it's something they say that if you make more than uh, like $80,000 a year or something like that, the happiness levels between people who make more than $80,000 a year and up to the people who make a million dollars, $10 million a year, that that's not any different. So it's that thresh. I mean, I'm not saying that we should give people $80,000 a year checks. But what I'm saying is when people are done worrying about their basic needs, whether they're rich or whether they're middle class, the problems seem to be the same. So the happiness levels don't change. Just because you make $10 million a year does not make you any happier than if you make 80. And I think that if we go back to like Jeremy Bentham and the utility of, um, uh, you know, when you say that, the, the thing that does the best good for the most amount of people, and this is, now we have to go back to enlightenment philosophers for this one. Okay, here we go. But the idea is, is that you, you try to do things that will be the best for the greatest amount of people. And that's what something like this would espouse. And I, I think that's why it's popular in economic thought, because once people don't have to worry about their basic needs, then the free markets can go crazy. You know, then you don't have to have all these restrictions on companies in that way. You probably still have to have environmental restrictions. Oh, so they yeah. So they don't destroy, destroy everything. And, I, you know, and I don't, I don't know that they necessarily would because I'm looking at this beautiful day outside here in springtime in Wisconsin. And, um, you know, we want to make sure we protect those things. But anyway, universal basic income is one way that uh, has been suggested. And there's a whole bunch of articles on it right now. So it's a really hot topic of people discussing it. And because of the pilot program going on in Sweden. And so what I have to say to Luddites is... Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So technological unemployment, it might, be a, it might be rough in the short term, but hopefully we'll do the right thing and figure out a way for the robots to do the stuff that we hate and humans to be able to live creative and fulfilling lives even while all we have to do is push button. All right, sign me up, Mike. Okay, that I'm sounds ready. good. That sounds good. So, uh... Allison, I wanted to thank you very much for joining me again today as we discuss a little bit of pop culture, science fiction, and science reality. I mean, automation of 80% of jobs is in the president's report. So, like... So, it's uh, a very is, hot topic today. This is happening. It's happening. Like, the future is coming. No matter how many Unabombers are out there, we can't stop it. <laughs> That's right. So, so, instead of stopping it, we have to find the best way for people to be able to still enjoy their lives, put food on the table, and at the same time, they don't have to risk their lives in the mines anymore. Yeah. So. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready, Mike. I am ready to. <laughs> and so <laughs> and it's uh, been my pleasure being on the podcast. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. And so uh, if you want to learn more about what Allison does, please check out MilwaukeeGhosts.com. And that's where you can find out more information on uh, the ghost tours and investigations that Allison does in southeastern Wisconsin. For the song this week, we decided to grab an old sunspot chestnut about, um, well, humans have to feel things and robots don't. 
So in this song, uh, the character would prefer not to feel, prefer to live like a robot. Instead of, the, instead of the puppet wanting to be a real boy, the real boy just wants to become a puppet. And the song is called Uncanny Valley. for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Well, I I say take this jab and shove it into your positronic matrix. Yeah.